We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome back. Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. David Dahl, good to see you, sir, in the producer's chair. There's a lot of news today, and most of it is going to fade away. Most of it is going to be very temporary. Most of it will have a cycle of 48 hours at the very most. Here's something that won't. Though I want to talk about it, I don't want to ignore it, here's something that won't. This is something that will last with us a long time. The Washington Post headline this morning is this, quote, national test scores plunge with still no sign of pandemic recovery, close quote. The New York Times today put it that, quote, the math and reading performance of 13-year-olds in the United States has hit the lowest level in decades, close quote. As the Post put it, This is, quote, the single largest drop in math in 50 years and no signs of academic recovery following the disruptions of the pandemic, close quote. The headline from a May Fox News op-ed in 2020 by me and former Education Secretary William Bennett, May of 2020, was this, quote, coronavirus and schools, have we done more harm than good? To our nation's children, close quote. May of 2020. It makes one mad. Mad in the sense of angry and mad in the sense of crazy as well. We haven't done this poorly in half a century because we decided to close schools. And with an adamance that could not be penetrated, such that if you questioned or argued against such things, you got censored, shamed, or fired. For what? To protect children from a virus that took a minimal number of lives in the 0 to 17 age population, magnitudes less than, say, drug poisoning or drug overdoses. Now, these scores in education also ignore what we did to the psychological and psychiatric conditions, never mind the neurology of our children. One study from the National Institutes of Health found children subject to, quote, school sh- children who were subject to, quote, school shutdowns, sever- severed social channels, and amplified stress at home and in their communities because of COVID mitigation, experienced symptoms of anxiety and depression and greater internalizing of problems. Their brains showed a thinning of the cortex, close quote. Their brains showed a thinning of the cortex, a thinning of the cortex, a physical change, not just emotional, physical change to our children's brains. I don't want to hear that we didn't know at the time or we were unsure or that we were all doing our very best. It's horse defecation. As Heather MacDonald put it on our show a few months back, Looking back, she said everything we needed to know about the kids, we knew by May of 2020. And sure enough, 
She was, and that is right. As Bennett and I wrote in May of 2020, quote, The closings have caused, and will cause, even more social damage for a great many of these children and their parents than the coronavirus ever would, all to protect children from a disease that will not directly affect them, close quote. And the studies were already out by that time, despite what Anthony Fauci or Deborah Burks or Randy Weingarten said. As we cited at the time, there was a study from the British Medical Journal that concluded, quote, children have not played a substantive role in the intra-household transmission of coronavirus, close quote. Or, as Daniel Koch, the chief of infectious disease prevention for Switzerland, put it even more directly, quote, young children are not infected and do not transmit the virus, close quote. That was all early 2020, research we cited in that May 2020 piece. Hugh and Lou Hallman and I spoke about it and wrote about it routinely here as well. As for the notion that keeping our children out of school would lead to equal educational inspiration and outcomes, nothing to worry about. The kids will learn. Remote learning will be fine. It'll be a okay substitute. Today's NAEP report puts the lie to all that. What they got instead of more education was more screen time. The NAEP report finds that children's reading at home or on their own time declined 17% between the onset of COVID in 2020 to last year and nearly 50% from what they were doing a decade ago. Children aren't reading, and they read less and less during the school shutdowns. Now, I sometimes feel like I'm overly focused or that you may think I'm overly focused or conscientious about what we are doing to our children using them to soothe adult anxieties. But it makes me angry because we say we care about children here, and we should. And we will be pushing these children into an adulthood with deficits that will soon meld more and more adult problems, not having given children the tools they need to succeed as adults, neither intellectually, socially, or mentally. Instead, We are far more interested in sexualizing and racializing them. Again, forcing adult themes into their innocence and natural maturation process that otherwise would not be their focus or concern because we adults find it amusing or important to use children for ourselves as our voodoo or pushpin dolls, as our tools of sorcery. The problem with sorcery, of course, is that it's meant and used for fortune-telling. What we have here is great misfortune, and lots of it. The molding of children's minds and souls is, of course, the task of all education, or used to be, and as a result of that dictate, it is the task of adults, or used to be. Which is why I worry about adults as well as children. As I often say, there would be few child problems if there weren't adult problems. Now, What we know about the importance of molding children in their minds as well as their souls is as old as Plato and the Bible. From King Solomon telling us to teach our children well to Plato writing, quote, Shall we just carelessly allow children to hear any casual tales which may be devised by casual persons and to receive into their minds ideas for the most part the very opposite of those which we should wish them to have when they are grown up? 
we know what it means or should mean to feed in the minds to feed the to feed the minds and souls of our youth and so too does the left we know this and the left knows this and the cat was let out of the bag during covid when the head of the largest teachers union in the country the los angeles teachers union unified teachers of la the head of that, the president of Unified Teachers of L.A., said, quote, there's no such thing as learning loss. Given all we've learned, folks, and truly all we know and knew before we even had to learn it, Cecily Mayart Cruz, the L.A. United Teachers president who said this, should resign. She clearly knows nothing about learning or learning loss when she says there is no such thing. She went on to say in that same statement, quote, our kids didn't lose anything. It's okay that our babies may not have learned all their times tables. They learned resilience. They learned survival. They learned critical thinking skills. And they know the difference between a riot and a protest. And they know the words insurrection and coup, close quote. I was just a little curious to see what this president of the teachers union in Los Angeles organization thought its purpose was. You can get it from their website. They have a mission or purpose statement there. It screams at you. It screams thusly, quote, United Teachers Los Angeles ensures equity in public education, upholds educators' rights, advances the well-being of students, and strengthens communities. Notice the priorities. First, equity, meaning some kind of affirmative action goals based on race and sex. Second is the protection of the rights of teachers, and tertiarily comes the, stu- come the students. And when it is the students, it's their well-being, not their academic achievement, not their learning. And thus, well-being can mean anything, except we know it doesn't mean their hent- mental health either. It means, rather, their political well-being, as in what a coup, an insurrection and riot is, and how one should think about them. When the teachers' unions tell you up front in sharp relief what they are about, believe them. And when we see academic scores decline and the mental health of our children plunge, stop being surprised. There are things we should be shocked about. No longer shall we be shocked about what takes place in public education, or really, I should say, government schools. Training up our children in the minds and the morals is a special task, the most important, really, of all tasks. Plato can be summarized as asking in the Republic what the two most important questions any society are. Those two most important questions any society asks or should ask are these. Who teaches the children, and what is it they are being taught? A once well-known European philosopher put it this way, quote, if we want to educate a person in virtue, we must polish him at a tender age. And if someone is to advance towards wisdom, he must be opened up for it in the first years of his life, when his industriousness is still burning, his mind is malleable, and his memory still strong. Quote. Let's remember that. And all that was done and continues to be done with our children. Our job, as Plato put it long ago, should be the facilitating of the conversion of the soul from the world of generation, that is to say birth, 
to the essence and truth of their lives. Essence and truth. That which is important and that which is true, factual. We are so far from that right now. But you begin to understand now a bit more why the professional establishment and unions are so adamantine in their opposition to education reform, like charter schools, private schools, and homeschooling. Those reforms, like everything else we stand for, are simply in their way. Well, stay in their way. And if you're not there yet, get there. I'm Seth Leifson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Young David, what does your pin say today? I've got a Bob Dole for president pin. What year? For, it could have been any number of years. <laughs> what year was that? 88, 76? Huh? Well, it wouldn't have been 76. 80, 88, 96? What was it? I'm pretty sure this is from his 88 campaign. The 88 campaign? Okay. But I think, and I could be wrong, but I think his 80 and his 88 campaign have the same uh, typeface logo. So it's kind of hard to tell us apart. Could be, yeah. Resulted in the same path to the nomination, right? Didn't get there. Did not get there. Yes, that's right. Yeah, didn't get there. And the reason I'm getting this is because I'm wearing this is because I shared with you uh, the Iowa Republican debate last night. Right, right, right. Um. Bush won Iowa that year? Bush won Iowa, that's right. Reagan came in a close second in 80, I believe. Yes, but uh, Reagan's uh, mistake was not having attended the debate. Yeah, he didn't show. Yes, and I think that's what captivated uh, Bush to the uh, Iowans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, How's your your effort getting on Twitter? Um, If it were uh, successful— (laughs) <laughs> One of our listeners who sent me a picture of a pin to send to you wouldn't have had to have gone through that circuitous or anfractious route. You are also now causing anfraction around here <laughs> by not being on Twitter. Well, gee, I had to, I had to take a picture of it and email it to you. If there are shiny tin badges on Twitter, now it sounds all the more exciting. Yeah, yeah. Our <laughs> listeners are now sending. This is how. It's, can you get this today? I am now your go. I am now your your your. your I am now your scrivener. I am now the in between to get to you. It's a position of power I like to have over you. And, and, and yes, <laughs> stop it, stop it. Um, for those that uh, expected a lot from the John Durham testimony today, or 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 believing the headlines, just stop it, stop it. There are headlines I am seeing in conservative media and in conservative social media saying that uh, John Durham shut down Adam Schiff, owned owned Adam Schiff. He didn't. Watch it for yourself. Or read the transcript. It was weak, weak, weak. Adam Schiff was asking John Durham whether he investigated the attorney, the Russian attorney's meeting with Donald Trump Jr. in the 2016 campaign. This was a meeting the Democrats made a big deal of because Donald Trump Jr. met in, the, I guess it was in the Trump Towers, with a Russian um, attorney, and they they took it to be a big deal because it proved. Walls closing in proof that the Trump campaign was colluding with Russia to get dirt on Hillary Clinton. The meeting lasted uh, less than a half hour, if even 15 minutes, because it was about this Russian attorney as a lobbyist wanting to change adoption rules under the Magnitsky Act. 
Russian children adoption rule or adoption rules in America of Russian children. That's what it was about. So he asks John Durham today if he investigated that, and John Durham said no. And he said, well, why wouldn't you? It's prima facie evidence of Russia collusion. And John Durham said, a lot of people call you with information. I suppose there, he said, a lot of people call you with information. You would have experience with that. Now, what he was referencing was something audio very famous that was circulating for a while where someone spoofed Adam Schiff by saying they had dirt on Donald Trump from foreign sources. And Adam Schiff was intrigued by it and wanted to chase it down. It was a prank call that was taped, but it had Adam Schiff trying to do the same thing that Donald Trump Jr. was doing. But all John Durham said was, you would have experience with that. That's all he said. And Adam Schiff was unfazed by it and drilled down further and further. And John Durham just didn't make that point. He just didn't make have a comeback and he didn't make the point. The point would have been Mr. Schiff. The sentence should have been, excuse me, Mr. Schiff, excuse me, Mr. Congressman. You were intrigued and in having a meeting for the same exact thing except against a Republican. That would have been the sentence he should have uttered instead of this little thing that went by in a moment's notice that a few conservative outlets trapped as some great own that didn't happen by a vague reference to you would have you would have experience with that. It wasn't an own and it wasn't a put down. In Coriolanus, Shakespeare says, don't trouble the poor with begging. And I think, you know, when we expect great things from our special counsels like John Durham, you're um, setting up yourself to be disappointed. What's Dennis Prager's rule about happiness? Have no expectations. There are resentments waiting to happen. There are solutions to these problems, but they're political solutions. We are not going to win on the playing field of the Democrats. We're not going to win on the field that they own. They built it and they own it, and that's the legal field, just as we're not going to win on the other field that they built and own, which is the media field. We can win on the political field. And if we win decisively enough, we can take back these realms, like the legal field, because we can appoint better judges. We can appoint better U.S. attorneys. We can appoint better, polit- better political leadership at the, in the Department of Justice. We've gotten our fingers burned a lot of times thinking we had, The lessons should have been drawn by now. But let's not trouble the poor with begging and expect great things from this cast of characters who blow very, very, very weak and sad trombones. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski, he is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website, great way to reach him, and uh, really a great website, grandcanyonplanning.com, easy enough. He also is the host of his own radio show right here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. How are you today, John? Fantastic, Seth. How's it going? Nice to talk to you. You always give a lift. Oh, great. Uh, We were... um, 
we were waiting for uh, Fed Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell to speak today, testify today, and he did. As I read what he said, I didn't watch the testimony. Uh, he did say inflation is well, well above where it should be. I believe that's a direct sentence yeah. and that um, more rate hikes could could be coming. Yeah, I mean, he, he again reiterated that obviously inflation is not where the Fed wants it to be, which is in the 2% range. Yeah. It's far from it. It's about, du- it's about double that. At least it? double that, yeah. right, or more. Yeah. And, and, and basically said, hey, we took a pause. That doesn't mean that we you know, are going to stop raising rates. If we need to raise rates, we're going to do whatever we can in order to, to battle this inflationary issue. And that's pretty much what we've been talking about for the last you know, few months, that I, everybody, I think, comes to the consensus that consensus that the Fed has reached, you know, uh, probably, um, you know, the height of what they're going to do when it comes to raising rates. Maybe another quarter, half a point, but for the most part, they've done uh, what they believe they set out to do, and they definitely have slowed down inflation. It's down fifty percent from what it was at its high. Uh, and it's it's still declining. So that, that's right. So so if 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 my memory is correct, it's about four times. Uh, high, yes, that's right. It's about four times higher than it was in January of 2021 with the yeah. new administration. But it was as high as almost eight. Yes, and it's now at about four. You yeah. know, it peaked out right. over nine percent. Oh, believe. did it hit nine? You okay. know, okay. so we're we're about half of where it was. Yeah. Uh, but that's still four hundred percent, four hundred percent higher than where, yeah. where, where it was. Years Even ago. having it won't get us back to January twenty twenty one. Right, right, no. right. Yeah. Well, one of the things we wanted to t- I wanted to talk to you about uh, that we just touched on very briefly yesterday is its relationship, all of this, and the relationship to not just mortgages, which we've talked about a lot, but uh, an interesting headline from yesterday's uh, Wall Street Journal. Today's rate hikes threaten to push up tomorrow's housing costs. Fewer builders are starting new homes amid high prices for materials and loans, threatening housing shortages. So talk to us a little bit about inflation and feel free to deal with the mortgage part along the way if you want. But it is interesting on what it's going to do to the housing market going forward. Well, there's no question that there is a shortage of housing. And part of the challenge is that builders in the past – would open a new subdivision, and they would start swinging hammers and, you know, putting up buildings uh, before they had offers on those those properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the case today. Builders are being very conscientious about, uh, you know, pu- putting money out, laying money out on the table with the chance that maybe they're going to not sell that property or they want to have a buyer in pocket uh, before they start building. Uh, so there aren't a lot of spec homes out there for new builds right now. And as I think we might have talked about this uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. um, people who own a home today who may want to increase, uh, you know, maybe some livable space and buy a new home that's bigger or maybe in a different area um, are kind of handcuffed right now because they've got an interest rate on their current home of 3 or 4%, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And if they were to sell that property, they're going to go buy a new property and have a new loan that's going to be 7 plus percent. Right. So they're um, probably thinking twice about selling. So here you've got builders that are not building pre-inventory homes. You've got uh, people who are not listing their homes for sale, and yet you've got this pent-up demand because people who are living in rental properties are thinking, I want to buy a house. I don't want to be paying two, three thousand dollars 
uh, of rent right. when I could be putting that into equity in my own home. Right. So there's a real shortage right now, and this is creating, again, inflation uh, in housing right now. Well, yeah, that's how I was thinking of it, too. There's yeah. an inflationary, recessionary concern just about the housing market with yes, that Yes, it's that kind of its take. own yeah. little, right. you know, Yes, I was thinking know, of it exactly that issue. way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I will say, um, if the Fed does eventually get to that point where they peaked out on rates, and we start to see rates fall, which could be, you know, late this year, early into next year, that is going to begin to free up probably uh, people to go ahead, list their homes on the market, and look for uh, alternatives. You might start to see some properties come on the market, but it's going to probably be another at least three to six months. Yeah, horizon looking better for for the beginning of next Mm -hmm. year. Good, John. Thank you, John. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, member of Finran Sipic, and investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank He's you, sir. He's the best, folks. You're the best, right. John. Thank All you, right. sir. Bye-bye. You bet. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602 I was just checking out some, uh, some of the Republican presidential nomination polls, and... Um, it's just it's just really interesting to me. The more people I talk to, uh, I wonder what your thoughts are in the audience, folks. But the more people I talk to, I, I just question, you know, what is there in DeSantis's ar- arsenal that um, that he has that he can use? What is in the tank? I know it's early, but what is what has he got that um, is going to overcome a um, a thirty point lead right now? I, I, I just I mean, if you go to the real clear politics um, polls uh, and look up and put in the tab Republican nomination, they do the most recent polls. But then under that, they do this graph, you know, this line graph over the course of several months. And you can just kind of track Trump and DeSantis and the others. By the way, for those curious, Pence is in third place, followed by uh Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. Um, it's just it's it's just three inches between DeSantis's ending point and Trump's ending point. It's 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 literally three inches on the computer screen. I mean that's not a scientific thing, but you just you kind of have to look at it to see what a gap it is, and you have to wonder if you're rooting for DeSantis, what is it he's got that he hasn't tried yet? Um, more time, maybe. More door-to-doors, maybe. More interviews on national networks, maybe. It's a lot of maybes. Meanwhile, you know, people continue to get their Irish up over the latest outrageous thing Trump said or did in interviews, most recently now with Brett Baer, I guess two nights in a row. And... um it, it, it's it's just so much more of the same. What it tells me is that um, I I don't know that Trump can go lower. I I mean I you know if he hasn't by now after these indictments and uh, the one in New York and then of course the one uh, the one in Florida he he's hit his bottom. If if people are expecting him to go further down and if. DeSantis's or the others' campaigns are expecting to increase based on his increased negativities. There's not much 
There's, there's not much room for that. There's not much room for that. Anyway, just I, I'd be curious on your thoughts. I, I, you know, I was, it was an interesting thing with DeSantis. He, he may have waited too long. I don't know. Or maybe he's just not working, you know, not physically. Maybe the campaign isn't working the way, I don't know, uh, the way Governor, uh, uh, excuse me, the, the way uh, Mayor Giuliani's campaign didn't work, the way Governor Jeb Bush's campaign didn't work. The way, um, the way a lot of campaigns that have a lot of expectation and a lot of money behind them, you know, just launch and fail. Failure to launch just don't work. What? Did you have a thought on this? Yeah, I do. Go ahead. Uh, do you think that there is the expectation? And I think there surely is in certain camps like perhaps the Hutchinson camp and, and maybe even the Pence camp that they are waiting in the ranks for either a uh, conviction or a, you know, uh, Trump being uh, prevented from running. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all they can do right now. That's all they can do. Yeah, that's all they can do. But I don't think there's going to be a conviction before the election. Uh, I, I don't know how there possibly can be. I know that the judge in the Florida indictment, the one that involves the espionage act sent set up a set up a a, tri, a trial date but it's it's going to be delayed it's an immensely complicated case there's no way they can there's no way they can possibly meet that deadline and these things tend to get to delay to be delayed anyway it, it it's going to be a near impossibility for him to find himself convicted before the campaign ends i think um and even if he does, even if he does, I mean, appropriately, he'd obviously appeal it, particularly on the espionage Florida indictments, because there is so much there. Go back to my monologue from a week ago, or last Friday, was it, about the nine clouds of ifs surrounding it? Or look at there's an interesting op-ed in the Washington Post today by an attorney at a very big and well-known law firm, Arnold and Porter, who has a lot of experience with Espionage Act cases, saying how complicated this case is. And everyone who has said it's a simple case, it's a slam dunk, they're just, they're just missing a lot of angles. They're just missing it. It isn't. It is not. It is far from it. And so, you know, even if he somehow miraculously was convicted on that, in that, before the election, I don't think he can be. But if he was, he'll be out, you know, obviously— on appeal because he is a candidate for the presidency if he's the nominee at that point. But think about what you're asking here, too. You're asking for the conviction to be done by March. I, I just don't see how that can happen. Even if it is, he'll be out on appeal, obviously. And um, if the indictment, where everyone says it's a slam dunk, and I mean everyone except for like, you know, maybe 20 of us who have looked at the Espionage Act indictment as closely as we have. Everyone says that. And that hasn't really affected his numbers. In fact, they've improved them. I don't see how I don't see how a conviction gets you the 30 points you need. I just don't see it. I don't see how. What am I missing? I'm missing the future. I mean, anything can happen. That's what I'm missing. But, it, you know, it's it's. It seems to me that it seems to me that that 
this great hope for the Republican Party may have worked in Florida, but isn't working nationally. And I do think it's worth keeping an eye on Tim Scott. I think it's worth keeping an eye on him because I think he's a very likely and good running mate for Donald Trump. Probably the smartest running mate for Donald Trump. I mean, the smartest choice as a running mate for Donald Trump out there. It would drive the media nuts. Trump likes to do that. Yeah. Which gets me, by the way, to another interesting op-ed I wanted to run by you in the Wall Street Journal um, by, uh, by Jason Riley. Why Barack Obama is afraid of Tim Scott. I guess I probably don't have time for it right here. Let me, let me pick up on this when we come back on the other side of the break. Jason Riley is, a, um, is an, uh, uh, an op-ed writer for the Wall Street Journal, an African-American uh, conservative. And um, it's, it's really interesting. You remember, and we talked a lot about Barack Obama criticizing Tim Scott last, um, last week. Uh, let me give you Jason Riley's perspective on it when we come right back. Well, we were talking about inflation. You think about that. It's four times higher now than when Joe Biden was sworn into office. At one point, it was more than double even that. Hardly transitory, as the Secretary of Treasury, Janet Yellen, told us it would be. You combine that with the bank failures and the stock market volatility and the talk of a recession, and you ask yourself, where do I invest? Well, why refi has an answer. They have a Investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Refi. They're based here locally. They encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. Uh, you won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing. And when you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you will too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Give them a call at 888-Y-Refi-34. That's 888-Y-Refi-34. 34, or check them out online at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Before I get into the uh, Tim Scott, Barack Obama, Jason Riley piece, uh, let me bring you the news that Adam Schiff, Congressman Adam Schiff, D. California, has formally and officially been censured by the House of Representatives. You will recall there was an earlier effort to do this about a week ago, and it failed because— some doe-faced Republicans didn't want to go along with the fines that were attached to it. So the um, representative who sponsored the censure motion, Luna, took out the fines, and he has now been censured. It's odd that the Democrats and he talk about it as a badge of honor. It's odd that they, um, they say he has been vindicated in everything he has said and done. He has most certainly not. They live in such a – they either live in such an alternative reality because I would think he would be an embarrassment to the party with what he did with the Russian collusion story and the lording over his, uh, his intelligence credentials and his intelligence uh, clearances in feeding people the idea and repeating the idea that he had proof of Russian collusion when he had no such thing. I don't know why they say he was vindicated. Uh, They either live in a different reality 
or they simply lie through their teeth and have no consequence for it. And the censure is not much of a consequence. It would have been if he were the chairman of a committee, but he's not. But then again, if he were a chairman of the committee, of a committee, it would be because and by dint of the fact that the Democrats had a majority in Congress, so it never would have happened. Um, good that they censured him. Good work. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back.